without man is taken away while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from evil. He enters into peace, and they rest in their beds. Each one walked in his upright way. But come here, you sons of sorcerers, offspring of an adulterer. Against whom do you jest? Against whom do you open wide your mouth and stick out your tongue? Are you not children of rebellion, offspring of deceit, who inflame yourselves among the oaks under every luxuriant tree, who slaughter the children in the ravines under the clefts of the cracks? Among the smooth stones of the ravine is your portion. They are your life. Even to them you have poured out a drink offering. You have made a grain offering. Shall I relent concerning this thing? Upon a high and lofty mountain you have made your bed. You also went up there to offer sacrifice. Behind the door and the doorpost you have set up your sign. Indeed, far removed from me. You have uncovered yourselves, and you have gone up and made your bed wide. You have made an agreement for yourself with him. You have loved their bed. You have looked on their manhood. You have journeyed to the king with oil and increased your perfumes. You have sent your envoys a great distance and made them go down to Sheol. You were tired out by the length of your road, yet you did not say it is hopeless. You found reduced strength, therefore you did not think. Of whom were you worried and fearful when you lied and did not remember me, nor give me a thought? Was I not silent even for a long time? So you do not fear me? I will declare your righteousness and your deeds. They will not profit you. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. But the wind will carry all of them up, and a breath will take them away. But he who takes refuge in me will inherit the land and will possess my holy land. Okay. So, the... Uh the righteous man. It's kind of ironic in one and two. What, what happens to him? <clears throat> What's God do to the righteous man? Yeah, he dies. What a tragedy. Good for him. He's taken away from this calamity and this horrible situation that's going on among the people. You know, when the devout man is taken away, he enters into peace. He rests in his bed. The ones who walked in their upright way, as opposed to those who went in their own way. You might contrast this with the last verse of the chapter that will say there's no peace for the wicked. The only peace you've got is for the righteous to die and to be uh, ushered out of the chaos and the confusion of the sinful present of, of these wicked people. Uh, so, so you know, this is this is really kind of a, a blessing. Something that you might just look at sometime and think about. There's a, the contrast of various beds in these chapters. In 56:10, you've got the, the bed of slumber and, and laziness of the watchman. Here in in 57:2, you've got the the bed of peace. Of when the righteous die and are taken away from this. And then in 57 verses 7 and 8, you've got the, the bed of passion of the idolaters. So you've got, you know, kind of a, a sub-theme of, of the various beds uh, here. But, but they rest in peace and they're taken away from what's going on here, which is terrible. In verse 3, he 
calls them offspring of an adulterer and a prostitute. Now you have to go back to the, the theme you've got throughout the prophets that God's people were married to him. They're like God's wife. They've got a covenant. It's like a marriage covenant. And when God's people committed idolatry, it was like they had other gods, they had other lovers, like they were, like they were a wife who was going after other men, the idol gods. That's how it felt like to the Lord. He felt that uh, chagrin of, of, of a husband whose wife went around on him, or even when they went to the other nations and you know sought alliances with them. It's like you're not being faithful to your marriage contract with the Lord. So to them, to, to God, these idolaters are an offspring of, of an adulterer and a prostitute. They're, they're, they're totally unfaithful. Um, they're, they're children of rebellion, offspring of deceit. In verse 4 and 5, you inflame yourself among the oaks under every luxuriant tree. There's a number of passages throughout the Old Testament where you see that the idolatry normally was associated with trees. They like the shade, for one thing. Um, in Deuteronomy 12, 2, going all the way back there, you shall utterly destroy all the places which where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods on the high mountains, on the hills, and under every green tree. And uh, you, can, you can run that and you'll see a number of references to the idolatry being under these trees. They slaughter the children in the ravines. I think that's referring to child sacrifice. They sacrifice to their children. To some of these gods, which was an outrage to the Lord because he'd given them the children. It's like the woman taking, taking the children that are the product of the marriage and killing them. I knew a man one time whose wife had aborted their child. And he, he, he would have been just outraged by that. It was against his will. And, and he, how, how does God feel when, when these idolaters take the children God gave her and sacrifice them? Is it any different, really? When we sacrifice our children on the altar of greed and power and success and so forth and so on. And there's a sense in which God's people today sometimes sacrifice their children. So, you know, everywhere they go, they're pouring out offerings to the gods. On the mountains they offer sacrifices to the gods. In their houses they offer sacrifices to the gods. They're, they're, it's everywhere. They're corrupt. They're wicked. They make these agreements with these other nations in 9 and 10, sending their ambassadors with gifts to try to get uh, uh, alliances and covenants with these nations. These ambassadors are dedicated. They, they have a long way to go. But they don't pursue paganism as a leisure activity. They go, they go to great lengths. They, they renew their energy to be able to go far away and, and make these covenants with other nations. So they're trusting in not their husband God, but in idol gods and in other nations. And God is so infuriated by this. Comments and questions through verse 10.
that verse 6 where he talked about uh, among the smooth stones of ravine, is he referring back to the, the child sacrifice? I don't know if he's doing that or not. Um, maybe those are just the places where they worship the idol gods. Tim. Um, I might have just missed it, but I'm thinking about the verse 4 well, I think they're doing that toward God. You know, it's like they're just making a mockery of this marriage. Every time they worship an idol, it's like they're sticking their tongue out of God. Shane. Verses 1 to remind me when I first read it, the first parts of the particular sentence, and remind me a lot of Psalm 73. Um, ways that just calling out and saying, I don't understand what you're doing, why is this happening? But you gotta use the reason for he says, I'd rather save you from this perverted generation. I mean, I don't know, I guess I thought about that and thinking about, you know, there's a lot of times we think things are unfair, things that we might understand, we don't like, yes, it's not being logical, but God here gives his reason. Um, and we never really understand what the purpose of God is. But here it was to save from this generation. Yes. Um, it's not a tragedy when righteous people die, at least not for the righteous people. Maybe a tragedy for their family or for people that they could influence. But for righteous people, death is a blessing. And especially when they're in an environment like this that must be so annoying and so just grieving to righteous people. Things other than the Lord, even 
I think a lot of parents do that with secular education. They give their children up to, to the schools because they want them to be well-educated. It's not bad to be educated necessarily, but that ought not to be our major pursuit for, for our families. I mean, we need to give our children to God. The main focus needs to be training them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I don't really care if the kid is an athlete or as clumsy as can be. If he's highly educated or he's really dumb, you know, or whatever. What matters is that he's with the Lord. But so many parents essentially sacrifice their children on the altar of success or popularity or material possessions or whatever. Okay. I'm going to back up to that we can really weary ourselves and get ourselves exhausted through the dangerous world uh, and wickedness and we fill our lives with we exhaust ourselves filling our lives with them uh, yes. but to retire ourselves for the work of the Lord um, you know we're willing to stay up or get up early to do this kind of thing or that kind of thing or for our education or for our sports or whatever it is but uh, how can we really do that for God? Yeah, that's an excellent point I mean we will pursue some pretty empty, trivial things with more effort and intensity than we'll pursue the Lord. I mean, wow. Um, you know, I mean, it would be interesting uh, to think about, you know, what have you contrasted the amount of time you spent, you know, watching TV with the amount of time you spent worshiping God? You know, whatever. I mean, it's like, sometimes we, we're more dedicated. Or, or, you know, people, people seem to think anything. If you're in sports, just wearing yourself out. I mean, practice that's grueling. But, but somebody thinks, you know, if, you, if you've gone a few extra miles to a gospel meeting or something, that's an awful lot. I mean, aren't you really tired? I mean, you need to take care of yourself better than that or whatever. It's, it's amazing how we are. Great. Um, no, my part personally says you have found the life in your hands and therefore you will not do exactly as that function. Uh, where are you? And the uh, second half of verse 10. Okay. Uh, my translation says you have found the life of your hand, therefore you are not Okay, that's interesting. That is the uh, literal translation according to my margin. Here's the New American Standard in 10. You were tired out by the length of your road, yet you did not say it's hopeless. You found renewed strength, therefore you did not faint. Uh, I'm not sure how that fits the life of your hand, but uh, I think the idea is they managed to pep themselves up and keep going in spite of how grueling and strenuous it was to make these alliances. Other comments? You know, he says in verse 11, you know, why didn't you think about me? You know, you don't seem to have paid any attention to me. They didn't recognize God's voice in the law. Um, and so God says, I'll declare your righteousness and your deeds. Then, of course, if you declare the righteousness of these people, what you declare? You know, their righteousness consisted in their worship of idols. It was in, they will not profit you. Uh, when you cry out, let your collection deliver you. 
Now, my translation adds collection of idols. That may be inadequate. Their collection probably would part of their idols. Let your idols, let your armies, let your alliances, or anything else you want to depend on. When you cry out, when the danger comes, when the crisis is there, anything you want to collect again, just let it deliver you. The wind will carry all of them up. A breath will take them away. You take refuge in me, you've got security. You never have security when you are trusting in anything else that is not God. And God's just plenty willing to just leave us at the mercy of the things we've, we've given our lives to. You know, that, if, 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 if what we want to serve is another God, whatever that God might be, then when we get in trouble, okay, turn to that. Reminds you a lot of like Judges 10 and 11, where they cried out to God again for the however many time, and God says, well, you've, you've been worshiping the idols. Go ahead, let them take care of you. You know, if that's any law, then, then fine. No, I don't need you now. Uh, well, God eventually gets tired of getting used. Other comments. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and to 
heart and remain with the mirror, says the Lord. I will heal him. But the wicked are like like tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, as water is tossed up reduced in mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Okay. In this terrible circumstances, God asked for the way to be prepared for his people. 15, for thus says the high and exalted one. You know, you think about how how high is God? How exalted is God? He said, I dwell in a high and holy place. God's just as exalted and high as you can possibly imagine. (laughs) But ironically, who does God dwell with in this high and exalted place? The lowly, the humble, the contrite. That's an amazing thing. The exalted God dwells with the lowly man. I think the uh, men who self-exalt themselves are sort of trying to be rivals of God. You know, the exalted God only fits with humble, lowly, contrite, dependent men. You know, what does God want in us? Does he want somebody who's really capable, who's sharp, who's intelligent, who's charismatic, who's impressive, who's who's kind of got it together and is cool and, and you know, that's what God's looking for. Some of us could never do that. God's looking for us to give him what all of us could give him. And that is a humble, lowly, penitent heart. A, a, a willingness to turn to God with no pride and no pretension, and just serve in a humble way. Everyone can get that. Many of us don't want to humble ourselves enough to get that. So that's what God's looking for. Now he's not going to, he's not going to put up with some of the things that people try to get. Now I don't contend for everything. You know, uh, I, I, because of iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry and struck him. I was angry. You know, I, 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 I punished them, but now I've seen his ways and I will heal him. I will lead him. I will still cover him. So God, God had punished and punished. Now God is going to turn back and, and bless and heal and give peace. But that peace is not for everyone. Verse 20. The wicked are like the tossing sea. It cannot be quiet. Its waters toss up refuse and mud. Such a great picture of just the turmoil of people who don't have God. Their life is constantly churning. It's constantly, you know, just just constantly traumatic. You see people who don't have God. There's, there's just problem after problem. They're, they're constantly tense about this, anxious about that, worried about something else. You know, everything's always a crisis, a disaster. There's no peace. There's no ultimate peace if you don't have God. There is no peace, says my God. So, God is going to turn away from the punishment and bless and heal, but not the even, even in the passages where God is unreasonably gracious and merciful, it is for those who are willing to be righteous and true. Comments and questions? What's the fruit of the lips of the uh, my, my translation says creating the praise of, of the lips. I think God's going to um, transform these people and cause them to praise and glorify Him.
Sangha. This is in the, the, the 14 area, build up, build up, prepare the way. And other times it's talking about prepare the way, usually it's talking about flattening the mountains, but this time it's talking about building up. Um, is that anything special or is it? Well, maybe not because we talked about filling in the valleys in chapter 40, but I think the difference here is in chapter 40, preparing the way for God to come. Now I think it's preparing the way for the people to come to God. So I think that's the contrast. Other thoughts? You might also think about, there's two or three of those, uh, chapter 35, and there's another one, I can't remember what it is, where he's kind of got the raised highway idea, where it's, it's unmistakable. <coughs> Find it and, and go there. I think that might be, uh, might be 42. Uh, so, it's somewhere in there. Uh, but, but, so you, you sometimes do have that kind of like the, the raised way that they can find and come about. You mentioned this verse, you say, no peace for the wicked. Um, what would you say if somebody was like, well, that's physical peace, you know, that doesn't mean you can't have spiritual life? I'd say they haven't read Isaiah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, you've read Isaiah with any discernment, I don't think that's what you do. <coughs> yeah, Eric. When he talks about the peace that would come to the Lord, it's always reminds me of the upon him with the chastisement that brought him to peace. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, all of these blessings come from what Jesus did. Uh, you know, that's, that's verse 5, and literally, the chastening for our peace fell upon him. 53 5. Okay. Al? I just can't go about, you know, on this life, there's no peace for the wicked, and then I guess in the afterlife, I mean, they have even worse. That's exactly right. There's no peace anywhere for the wicked. 